Hello and welcome back to another episode of the 100k Freelancer Club podcast. Today I've got another amazing guest coming on the podcast to share their insights into the freelance world with you. And I've got to say I learned an absolute ton from this podcast. It was fantastic to record. I learned a lot and I'm sure you will too. Um, if you're listening to this podcast on a um, on an audio platform, on a podcast platform, uh, we would love it if you could subscribe, that really helps us out. And remember to head over to 100kfreelancerclub.com to sign up for a free account and get access to all of our extra content as well. So today's guest is Paul Boag. He's a customer experience and UX specialist with decades of experience. He's actually an OG in the podcasting world, starting his web design podcast all the way back in 2005, releasing over 500 episodes. So he's got an absolute mountain of knowledge to share with you guys. Uh, he's published multiple books, including UX Revolution, Click, and Digital Adaptation. And he's worked with massive clients, including UNICEF, Shopify, and Shell. Um, I cannot tell you enough how much you are going to benefit from this episode today. Um, but without me babbling on further, let's dive right into this episode of the 100K Freelancer Club podcast. Paul, thank you for joining us today uh, on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. And uh, Chris as well, thank you for coming. We'll dive more into that um, in a second as to why Chris is here. But yeah, thanks for coming on today, Paul. And uh, yeah, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing... Well, I was about to do the British thing of going, oh, I'm doing great. Truth is, <laughs> I've got man flu, so I'm close to death. You, you know, you, I cannot overstate how incredibly sick I am, really. <laughs> I know, I feel your pain. I was sick uh, a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, we always get that. I, I swear, it's a thing, man flu, way oh, worse yeah. than, um, yeah, way yeah. worse than your partner gets it. It's, yeah, yeah exactly. it, it, it's a, yeah. it is a can real you, thing. Can you tell, can I tell my wife that? For some reason, she thinks, you know, labor and stuff like that is way worse than man flu, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, until there's accurate enough scientific tests, we're just yeah. going to have to go on the word of mouth uh, exactly. of, uh, of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but as well, joining us today, uh, and we've been speaking just before this podcast here, is um, Chris as well. And Chris is, uh, Chris is also a, uh, a UX designer and uh, working on customer experience as well here at the 100K Freelancer Club uh, and on other right. projects that we work on together. So I brought Chris in to this podcast to ask you as almost a, a, a peer and maybe a mentor in this session uh, as well to bring in some more, uh, you know, questions from from uh, from that side of things. So sure. yeah, I'll ask you as well, Chris, how, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, no man hopefully, flu. Yeah, hopefully no man flu. So I'm, I'm all good. Um, I'm actually here in Tarragona with, with Jacob today, which is like nice to be out of out of the rainy and cloudy Austria. But yeah, I'm good and happy to be here. Yeah, that is the, the beauty of the freelance lifestyle. So we're just working uh, whenever and wherever. Chris did get attacked by a bird today though. So yeah, uh, your bird, you have to say. <laughs> I tell you what, talking about working from wherever and whenever, that's one of the great things now. It's taken me a few years to get to it, but 
we now own um, an RV in North America, so I'm based in the UK. And I spend about half the year now just RVing from national park to national park all around North America into Canada. So we've just got back from um, some time in, in kind of uh, Vancouver and Calgary and that kind of thing. And I just carry on working. Since, since um, I've got very mixed feelings about Elon Musk, right? Because on one hand, he's <laughs> ruined Twitter, which I used to love with a passion. But on the upside, he's produced Starlink, which means I get faster internet when I'm in an RV traveling around America than I do in, in the UK at home. So <laughs> there are upsides to our lifestyle. Being able to work from wherever is one of them, isn't it? Yeah, that sounds yeah. awesome. And I'm yeah. not joking. We, me and Chris were talking about this literally this morning. When oh, we went really? to get breakfast <laughs> in the cafe, we were like, you know what? We should get an RV and we'll kit it out and we'll put a podcast room in the RV and yeah. we'll just go all around and just go everywhere and interview do. people and travel the world. You could do. I mean, we're, we're, we're intending, we're doing North America at the moment. And as you may have gathered, I'm, I'm somewhat older than you guys. Although it's hard to tell, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say um, like, 21. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but I am. Um, and so we're doing North America at the moment. And then when we get, old old we're going to do europe because it's not the long haul flights and we are we're just going to get an rv go off all the time around europe it's going to be you know and there's no reason why not the only thing you've got to fight with is time zones can be p challenging at some time so when i'm in america i tend to have very early morning meetings and things like that but to be honest a lot of my clients are in the us or canada anyway so it's like swings and roundabouts you know yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I find with my clients as well, especially on the client acquisition side of things, people don't really care about time zone anymore. Like it used to be a good thing. Now it's like if you're working with a freelancer or vice versa, the client's working with you, most of the time they don't even ask what time zone you're in until yeah. the contract's been signed. Like, oh, by the way, like, you know, what time zone you're in? So like when they're like <laughs> scheduling meetings and stuff, especially if you work with software like it's called Calendly. I always pronounce that yes, wrong. That's the one but where use, it works yeah. in their time zone anyway. So they just mm. book the meetings in their time. And but you know what? You say that, and I, I totally agree that that's the client's perspective. But big part of what I do is, is mentor and coach freelancers, small agencies, stuff like that. The number of them that still think in terms of, oh, I, I, I do web design for the calgary area or the you know london area or whatever and i'm saying don't narrow yourself by geography i mean that's just insanity in the in the world we live in you know sure specialize but not around geography that's a really bizarre decision i think a lot of people make and it is well i don't think it is a decision i think it they just end up doing that and it, it gets stuck in their heads you know yeah. What do you think? Like, what do you think their mindset is on 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 that decision? Is it more because I know back in the day that was really good for search engine optimization. You would like yeah. target a specific area like London or something for your website, but I've never heard of someone trying to be exclusive to an area. I, for... I don't think that. Like I said, I don't think it's necessarily a conscious decision people make. I think it's more. Um, well, what kind of often happens is when I'm talking to people about um, 
sales and marketing. You know, I encourage them to target a particular niche or to specialize in some way. So maybe, for example, in my case, um, I will often target well, at the moment I'm doing um, a lot of work with universities. Right. So I target universities. And, and the pushback you get is where well, there are not many opportunities in my area for universities, for example. Right. Mm. And I'm going, yeah, but wh why are you just thinking in terms of your area? You know, you could work. I work with universities in Europe. I work with uh, um, uh, universities in Egypt, um, North America, all over the world. And I think it, it, it's just because that's how their business has grown. You know, it started off with friends and family who probably live in the area and then other people that were in the area and it kind of grew in their area. And in the end, you become a bit kind of tunneled vision in it and, and mm. think, oh, well, you know, how, do, how can I run a project without ever meeting the client? Because I've always met the client in my project. Yeah, yeah. well. I think COVID helped a lot with that, obviously, because we were all forced to to separate. But then then time zones mentally become a big barrier to people. Oh, I'm going to have to work in the evening. Well, OK, yeah, so take the day off and go go to the cinema in the day when it's cheaper rather than in the evening and weekends when it's more expensive. You know, we we end up with these ways of thinking these habits in terms of how our life is supposed to be structured that we're not very good mm. at stepping back from and going well actually i could do things differently yeah i mean i i even feel that personally now i've been in the freelance game for a long time but if i'm not productive inside of that set imaginary nine till five mm. i kind of feel bad even though we've been breaking those rules for a while so for, I, I like what you said there, like, yeah, why don't you just switch it around? Like, it's cheaper to do stuff in the day. And me and Chris, like, you know, Chris is over. We like playing golf. Golf's cheaper on a Monday. So we yeah. go, like, go on a Monday morning and then just do the work in the Monday afternoon into the evening. Yeah. You know, just yeah. flex it around a little bit. But also there's, I, I don't know about you, but, but a lot of the people I talk to also struggle with, uh, with, almost guilt about not working hard enough, right? Um, and you kind of touched upon that then, the, the idea that, oh, you know, I haven't done eight hours today, you know. Well, I mean, I've, I've worked hard to set up my business so that I only need to charge out maybe four hours a day in order to, to break even. And, and my aim as a freelancer is to work as little as I could get away with, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And still maintain the lifestyle and the and and the way that I want to work. So, the whole point of being your own boss is that you've got the freedom to build a business that fits your lifestyle. But so often, with a lot of the people that I talk to, they spend most of their time feeding this monster that the business becomes something that controls them, where they have to keep work coming in, they keep having to do the work and they're working. So they live to work rather than working to live. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it just takes control of their lives. And I had the same thing. I, I, ran, um, I ran an agency. Um, so it was more than just me. We, we, we started to build quite a, an agency and we got up to about 20, 22 people, something like that. And it just took over my life. And it's, it, it was like, well, I don't want to be living like this. You know, you almost, 
half the reason people want to become a freelancer is to get away from that boss that constantly tells them what to do. But then their own business becomes that boss that kind of bullies <laughs> them and tells them what to do and is always pushing them to do more, you know, and that shouldn't be the way it is. No, yeah. exactly. I think a lot of it comes from like external pressures. Is So, for example, if I told my mum that I played golf at mm. 11 a.m. on a Monday... She would lose her mind. Like, oh my God, why aren't you working? Or the same thing as like, if I said to my dad, like, yeah, I'm going to go do this on Thursday afternoon. He'd be like, why? Like, uh, why aren't you working? And like, even like, even my family comes from a traditional like business background. My dad's never really worked a nine till five, so to speak in, in that regard either. But he's still like, you have to be working all the time. He's from mm. that sort of that mindset or maybe that era, which is you have to be working all the time. If you're not working, what's the point? And I don't, I just, but it's also been so ingrained into me that maybe you can help me with this, is that I struggle with this problem is to, whereas I need to be productive. Like I have to be productive or otherwise I'm annoyed at myself. So I find myself in these time zones where, or in these points in time, where I want to do something fun that I want to do. So let's just say play golf. But Mm -hmm. I also feel like I can't because I need to be productive. So Mm. the want of doing this exciting thing is pulling me one way. The need Mm. to be productive is pulling me another way. And I end up doing nothing. Mm. Like, do you ever... Like, what is that and how do you kind of overcome that? (laughs) I think... Partly it's down to how you define being productive. What does it mean to be productive? And, and I would say that um, to be productive isn't just to work long hours, right? I know a lot of people that throw hours at a problem and I wouldn't consider them productive. They, they, they achieve less than I do. And, you know, and this is where developers are really good. One of the things, if you're, if you're ever a developer, and of course I've been doing this for so long that I had to do development in the early days as well as uh, design and everything else. And one of the things you learn from doing development is um, to work as efficiently as possible, right? Mm. Write as few lines as code as you can possibly get away with. Um, if, if you're doing something repeatedly, you, you get a process, you know, you, and, and just write it once and it, it, you know, it cycles through it. So you need to get into that mindset with work as well of how can I work in the most efficient way possible? So the fewest number of hours to gain the best reward back from it. Um, and a lot of that comes down to actually being in control of your own business. Now, I can tell you exactly how many hours a day uh, oh, how many hours a, a month I need to work in order for me to hit my break-even point. I know exactly what my break-even point is, right? I know exactly whether I'm going to hit the break-even in terms of revenue coming in and in terms of, um, you know, the number of hours and the amount of effort that I've put into that. Having that level of control over your business where you know what's going on um, makes it much easier to go I can do nothing today great example right man flu (laughs) I said I got man (laughs) flu right so uh, what I did I woke up this morning felt terrible didn't want to do anything right 
So I immediately brought up my timesheet for the, for the month and saw, actually, I'm a little bit ahead of where I need to be. I can slack off today. So other than one meeting earlier, which was booked in, and this was I booked in and agreed I was going to do. Other than that, I've done nothing all day. And, that, and I'm fine with that because I'm in control of the business. I can see that I've done enough. I can see that I've you know, done all the relevant things. So it helps you to step back. So it's, it's really putting in the work to get in control of your own business, I think, is key. Yeah. And I think this is the, this is the point that freelancing is so much better in this case than being an employee. Because if you're an employee, you have to be there from nine to five. It doesn't matter if you do your job within four hours a day, but you still have to be there for the other four hours and just sitting there and doing nothing and just to be like not the one who, the, not that guy who goes home at 12 because he's super efficient, but no one appreciates that because you have to be there from nine to five. And yeah. I think that's the thing you said before that that freedom freelancers have that you maybe just need to work four hours a day, four days a week, maybe to break even and you're fine with that. So yeah, yeah it doesn't and, reward you for efficiency, does it? Most jobs. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't. And even to some degree, you could argue that neither does freelancing because, because you, you are still in most cases charging by the hour still. Okay. So th really the longer it takes you to do something, the more money you earn, which is very, back to front and that's when you get into this oh you should do value-based pricing well you know I'm sure you've discussed this before on the podcast um, but my certainly my take on it is that that is incredibly hard to do in most cases um, and that it, it doesn't work particularly well so the way that I adapt for my efficiency is my charge out rate um, so where you know one person might be charging 80 pounds or dollars or whatever, whatever currency you might want mm. to pick per hour, you know, I may be charging 160 because I know that I work faster than most people. So I use my my um, uh, charge out rate to compensate for, you know, for the for the fact that I, I kind of um, work at a faster rate. But it's also supply and demand, of course, going on there. So the more in demand you are um, and I am quite high in demand simply because I've been doing it a long time. I've built a profile, blah, 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 all the boring reasons, which enables me to charge a higher rate. Now that means that I work less hours. Now that doesn't mean I sit on my ass for the other hours. Okay, some days I do. <laughs> um, but it also, that enables me more time to market and sell myself, which means I'm more in demand, which means I can charge a higher rate again, and you get into this virtuous cycle. Right. Where the, the less more you charge out per hour, the less hours you have to charge out. So the more time you have in promoting and building your your um, your reputation. So that's why sales and marketing and pricing yourself within within the, the market is so important. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to move on to some questions about that specifically later that I've written down okay. to ask you about. But then doesn't doesn't that. Open, let's just say you keep up in your hourly rate and mm. you, you've got your you know your specific break-even point and you know how long you have to work but doesn't that just open the door to then work in limited because 
in that respect, you could work harder on your sales and marketing, get even more people in, drive even more demand, therefore mm. charge even more. And there's mm. just this endless cycle. Because one of, one of the things that I struggle with, and this is like, a, I guess, a fantastic problem to have, is that like, there's no question as to whether I'm going to hit my break-even point. I'm miles past it every single month. Mm. But then there's just this unlimited potential of how far I can push it. And I, you know, uh -huh. I'm never yeah. going to know, you know, like I could work, however, like 24 hours a day and then mm. I would know what the limit is. But until mm. I do that, I don't. And I'm always left wondering, like, I can do more. Well, that's not that. That's looking at your business completely the wrong way around, mine, because it, it, you're working on the assumption. Well, I know not completely the wrong way around makes it sound like it's an absolute and it's not. There are basically two ways of looking at your business uh, and it depends on your character. So there are those people that love to build something right. The entrepreneurs. OK. And for them, the game is finding out how far they can push it. Right. You know, how much money could I make? That is their primary driver. Just not the money so much, but that mm. that feeling of building something. And then they start to bring on team members and they start to grow it. And maybe their plan is to sell it to Google one day. Although with freelancer service-based businesses, that's not very realistic, selling it to anybody really. But um, it's certainly, certainly, you know, building that thing is part of the challenge. I'm not one of those people. Um, for me, my business exists to facilitate what I want to do with my life, which, as you've already gathered, is travel, right? I love to travel. So I only need to earn as much as will enable me to do what I need to do, right? To do those things I want to do. So I've got to earn enough to pay for my flights back and forth to America, for keeping up my RV, for staying in all these national parks. That's that is how much I need to earn. Beyond that, I don't want to earn a penny more. I want the time instead. Right mm. now, you're at a different point in your life. OK, um, you probably you might, for all I know, you might, you know, not have kids or you, you, you might not own a mortgage or whatever it is. But at your time of life, your your um, objectives might be completely different and they will change over time and that's fine but I think it's really important and actually this is almost always the first thing I discuss with people I coach is what do you want out of your business right what why does it exist for you is it to earn you money if if so how much money is it to give you more time is it to get you to work on better projects is it to allow you to go and play golf on a Wednesday afternoon you know, my business didn't spontaneously become this machine that enabled me to travel around America. I had to make it that, right? Mm. And it took me several years to get to that place where clients weren't expecting me to turn up. Actually, bizarrely, COVID helped hugely in that regard. <laughs> but um, you had to actually build something that achieves the lifestyle you want. So the first question you need to ask is, well, what lifestyle do you want? That is a very good question, because <laughs> I, I yeah I'm mixed on that front. I I do want I I'm a very conflicted person on that front because I want the lifestyle is where I work as little as possible. I have complete freedom to travel and go to the places that I want. 
I'm not an extremely materialistic person. My running costs are low. My travel costs are usually low in comparison to what they could be. But at the on the other side, I also still want to push it super far and see how far I can take it. Like mm. every time I hit a new monthly record, I then want to go and get, beat it again. There's never yeah. like, <laughs> I, and I don't like that feeling either, but it's just this, it's just, I feel like I'm chasing it all the time. And it's like, I'm conflicting myself. I want the freedom. I want to work two days a week. Well, I also want to work seven days a week. It's kind of like, yeah. there's this I mean, massive confliction there. It, sound, it sounds like you're getting caught up on that, um, having a, a numbers game, right? And I, I'm, mm. I'm terrible for it as well. So I have, you know, I have a spreadsheet that shows me all of the different, you know, how much I've brought in each month for X number of years that I've been doing this. And I'm always wanting those numbers to go up and, um, it's because it's a game, basically. It becomes a game to to bring in the money and to earn the money, and that's that's actually quite a good way of having that feeling about it. Because the minute you stop seeing it as a game, then it starts becoming really serious and quite scary, and and, yeah. and you know, and and then you freeze up a little bit, and you don't win as much work, and then you start to panic and all the rest of it. So there's nothing wrong with having that mindset, but maybe you just need to change the metric in terms of what you're measuring. You know, in your case, if, if you're saying, well, really, I want more time off, let's see how few hours you could get away with um, working next month. Make that your metric that you're measuring rather than how much money you're bringing in. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I should try that. I do have that fear, though, of the sort of the, the fear of missing out, the fear of, like, what could be. So it's like... I could work a four-hour week, I guess, next month and still probably break even, but mm. am I reaching my full potential? And maybe, I, I think it's maybe social media and my mind nowadays is so polluted from all of this, like, I guess, toxic hustle culture where everybody's yeah. pushing it as far as they can. There's, you know, 25-year-olds driving around in Bugattis and it's kind of like, Dad, that could be me. Yeah, but <laughs> do you really want that? I mean, it, there is always no, there I... is always the aspect to the grass is greener on the other side, right? That whatever you've got. You I mean, when we go around America, uh, this is this this sums up the the age difference between you and me. You're talking about <laughs> uh, back, uh, I can't even say the word, you know, fancy cars, and then there's me. I'm looking at people with really big A-class, gorgeous motorhomes and going, oh, I wish I could have that, right? Mm -hmm. So there is always the grass is greener on the other side. And in fact, but this is where you can adapt your business based on where you're at. So in mm. my case, again, we've now decided that we want to buy a new truck and trailer, our equivalent of your fancy sports car, right? So fine, for a few more months, I'm now going to work some more hours and I'm going to ramp the business back up again till I can afford that fancy thing that I've got my eye on and then I'll ramp it back down again, right? So, but I think the fundamental problem that it sounds like you're facing, and I think most people face this, is they don't really know what they want out of life. And that's why mm. they get sucked into this hustle culture. And, and of course, this hustle culture has all come from Gary Vanderchuk, right? Um, who I remember having an argument with him about this back in early 2000s where he was this young, hungry person that was coming up through the ranks and, and all the rest of it. And 
And in the conversation that we had, I said, well, it's very dependent on where you are in your life and what you're wanting to achieve from your life. You know, and sure, he's gone on and he's had meteoric success and he's done incredible for himself. If you listen to him today, he actually discourages that that um, uh, uh, hustle culture, which is bizarre because he kicked the whole thing off. But mm. his life has changed. He's learned more. Right. You know, he's got kids now. His values are changing in your in your life. So I think it's a matter of just every now and again. And I still have to do this stepping back from your life and going, OK, what do I want? My big one at the moment is, should I be worrying more about retirement? Because I'm at that kind of <laughs> stage where I need to pay, pay attention to that. But yours might be, well, do I want to save up, you know, if I want kids or do I need to do this? So it's thinking ahead a little bit in your life, planning a little bit for the future, but also making sure you don't compromise the now in the process. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, very wise words. I mean, what do you want out of life, Chris? Like, I'm going to throw the ball over to you. Yeah. And hand it in no pressure, like, Chris. Just come on. What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> Give it to me. I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> now I was thinking, like, what you said, Paul, it's very true that you kind of always have to reflect on yourself on like in which stage am I right now? Like, am I in a stage where I want to hustle, where I want to like beat the record of last month, where I always be more successful than I was yesterday? Or am I in the stage where I just want to enjoy life and just break even and don't earn a penny more? Like you said before. And I think, as you said, Jacob, like I'm as well a little bit like in between, I think. But I think it's normal when you start freelancing. I started freelancing like two years ago. So I'm like in the in the pretty beginning of freelancing. And I think it's normal to be like hungry, as you call it before. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking or I'm catching myself thinking more often about it, like what I really want from freelancing. What? Why did I start or why did I become a freelancer? And for me, it was really the time thing as well that I like I when I started freelancing I set my goals and I said I want to earn 3,000 euros a month and just work four days a week that was my goal I set set myself and then I tried to work towards that goal like getting a lot of like few clients in try to upsell these clients and really try to not arrange any meetings on Friday I mean sometimes I could manage to didn't have a, a meeting or to don't have a meeting on Fridays, like most most of the time not. <laughs> but it like now I think it doesn't even matter that much because I like enjoying doing my work. I like enjoying or I'm really enjoying designing stuff and and doing all that different UX tasks. So now it doesn't really feel like working to me, which. I think if I step back uh, um, a little bit and think and, and look at it, like maybe the, the goal is not to just work four days, but it's more like to just enjoy work. And in that case, it's more like just get cool clients, clients you want to work with. So mm -hmm. it's kind of always a kind of definition um, of, of your goals, I think. So, yeah. It, it's, it's looking at it regularly. And, and saying, yeah. am I still happy in this situation? 
because I, I, I remember being exactly where you are. Um, and uh, we, we end up kind of establishing these stories in our head. And the story in my head was, I love what I do. I'm quite happy yeah. working endless hours doing it because it's such a joy, right? Mm. And it took, and, uh, but then there came this point where that was no longer true, but I didn't realize it. I got it into my head that I, you know, I love this work. I love this work. It's, you know, what I do, I'm doing these long rounds. Yeah. And it wasn't until I actually burnt out and, and I suddenly went, hang on, this isn't true. This, this story I'm telling myself of what I want out of life is no longer true and hasn't been for a while. Um, so by all means, you know, enjoy that. If you're, if you're really honestly loving work and that's where you are, then go for it. Absolutely. The other great advantage of earning, you know, shit tons of cash now um, is, you know, I would encourage you keep that behind you in the business so that when you want to take your foot off of the pedal, you can do that without yeah. it having big consequences. So I always keep at least six months of money behind me in the business so that the, the business could run without me earning a penny for six months. Um, so that if I have a period of time when I, I, I don't want to do something or maybe I get sick or maybe we're in a particularly beautiful part of the world and I you know, want to get away with doing as little as possible, I can do that. Um, but it's also knowing when you're starting to delude yourself a little bit. Because this, this whole thing about, what's that phrase? Um, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, right? Absolute yeah. bollocks, right? <laughs> um, and, and I can say that with utter confidence because my dad, actually, my dad is a wildlife photographer, right? And he loves what he does. He goes all around the world. He, you know, he, he's out in nature the whole time taking pictures of beautiful things. He's, but every job has its downsides. He still has to do his taxes. He still has to drive to Milton Keynes to give a lecture to a you know, group of old ladies every now and again. You know, there are, there are downsides in absolutely everything. So yeah. even when you're doing like you're loving your job at the moment, there'll be aspects of it you don't. Well, okay. What can I do about those things? Could I get in a bookkeeper to do my finances for me? Or could I get in a virtual assistant? Or in Jacob's case, can you know, hire somebody to get my guests on the podcast? Because that's exactly how I've ended up being here. So outsourcing those you know, bits you don't like out of your job is another good tactic for making life more enjoyable. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a very good point, actually, is the, the outsourcing. And I think beginner freelancers are always scared to do that because they never want to see money leave their business yeah they're not used to paying for something that they don't get physically so they're they're fine to buy a new macbook or a new yeah. camera that they can see that will make them better like they can take better photos for, with it for example because they have that in front of them but when it comes to making those first transactions as to paying somebody to do a simple task for you or to take something over. I think a lot of freelancers struggle to be okay with that and see the value in that. I mean, how do you advise people to sort of get to the, like, reach in that stage to kind of come to terms of it as you, it's necessary for growth? Um, so I'm, I'm grinning because again, it's making me think of my dad for some bizarre reason. I remember him joking once that, um, 
it was uh, cheaper for him to go to the, the hygienist at the dentist than it was for him to brush his own teeth. <laughs> he wasn't serious, I hasten to add, in his defence. But his logic was, is the, um, you know, he, he, when you charge out per hour, as we do, right, you know, your time is worth money. So, you know, let's take, for example, something that you're not particularly good at. Um, maybe, well, let's take doing your finances. The amount of time it's going to take you to faff around with your finances and getting your, your bookkeeping straight and all of the rest of it, 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 it would be much better for you to charge out those hours doing the thing that you love, right? Mm. Yeah. So it all comes down to having more work than you can handle coming through the door, right? As soon as you get into that situation, then suddenly, you, you, know, you know that those two hours you spent bookkeeping could have been two hours you spent doing UI or UX design, right? And so suddenly it's a much more obvious thing to do is to outsource. So it all comes, in the end, it all comes back to that sales and marketing, your ability to sell yourself services proactively rather than just relying on referrals all the time to come through the door. Because if, you if you're always relying on referrals, then you're always going to be in a place of uncertainty. Yeah. Is there going to be enough work next month? I have to take this piece of work because otherwise it might not, nothing might turn up next month, right? So, yeah, for me, for me, it's all about sales, which is the thing that most freelancers are weakest at. Because, you know, you sit in an agency somewhere working and going, you know, what? they're charging me out three times as much as they're paying me. What, why, why don't I become freelance? Well, it's getting the work through the door that's the hard bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think as well you should not see as it like an outgoing payment you have to do. It's more, more of an investment, isn't it? That mm. you invest in like a good accountant, for example, and he's helping you make actually more money because he mm. might have like a good trick and he saves you some time, which you can use to sell yourself, to market yourself, to actually design and do the work where you're actually getting uh, money in from. Yeah. So yeah. it's, I, I started seeing it more as an investment and then as an, as a payment I have to do. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Then Paul, how would you recommend? So you, the ultimate goal there you're saying is that you need to get to a point where you're getting more work in that you want or need or more work in that you can handle. So yeah. then you obviously have enough cash flow that you can make those decisions quite easily um, mm -hmm. and just focus all of your time on doing the work that you like to do. But before they're even at that stage, should people take a risk in outsource the sales part if they're not yielding no. results themselves? No, uh, there is, uh, uh, I say no. I say it so definitively, like, you know, I, well, I know 100%. I've not ever been able to successfully achieve that. Um, and I don't know of anybody who has. The reason being is what we sell, we sell services. We sell complicated, detailed solutions, right? Our work is as much consultative as it is production. Um, and so it, outsourcing sales works very well when you're selling a widget, you know, a, I don't know, 
pair of AirPods or something like that. They've got set um, features with them. They buy it, they take it away, job done. And you can do that very simply on a commission-based thing because your manufacturing costs are complete, uh, 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 static. Everything is a known entity. But with what we do, there's kind of two fundamental problems. One is that a salesperson is never going to be as knowledgeable as you are about your subject matter, so are never going to be able to sell as effectively as you are. Um, and then secondly is, how do you pay them? Do you pay them on commission? Okay, fair enough. Well, if you pay them on commission, are you paying them for the commission on the value of the product project? In which case, they're going to just promise the world in order to, to secure the project, right? That, or are you paying them based on the profit? Well, that's not fair on them because they can't control how much profit is made from the project. So there's no good model for short of having a salesperson as a partner, an owner in the business alongside you, which is how I ran my agency. Um, uh, there is no real way of getting sales effectively run on a freelance business that, that I have found, or even a, even a small agency. I think it's a real struggle to get anybody other than the owners doing the selling. Um, and, and that's the biggest thing people struggle with. Their biggest barrier is, well, I'm not a salesperson. Um, and so then it becomes a matter of, well, okay, it's about how you're selling, right? The trouble is, is when we say we're not a salesperson, what we mean is we don't want to do cold calling and we don't want to be annoying and we don't want to irritate people. But not all sales, in fact, good sales is not like that, right? Good sales, my selling, okay, well, let's be honest. Let's be honest about where we're at right now. I'm here selling, okay? I'm selling my coaching services right now. And how am I doing that? By giving away all of my knowledge for free. Right. I am sitting here honestly and openly helping as your listeners as much as I possibly can with as much information as I possibly can in the time that's available to me. Right. So that kind of selling when when all you're doing is really being helpful is a much more palatable way of thinking about it than it is to start thinking about cold calling and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's all about really your mindset towards selling more than anything. And, and, and I think as, as soon as you see selling as the enemy, then you're going to start wanting to outsource it. But that, that relationship is never going to work if, if you've got this negative attitude towards sales. Yeah. Now, no, sorry. I... sorry to interrupt you. The, the only exception to that is you can get... Um, people to do some of the heavy lifting for you you know so there's a lot of repetitive crap involved with for example I have a newsletter um, that I send out to people um, and you know I don't do all of the publishing of that newsletter myself because it's a pain in the ass but that's very different to the selling that you're talking about yeah Sorry. yeah, yeah. I, I think w what I was referring to is like you said is the when you mention sales people think of cold calling knocking on people's doors, sending emails, going on Instagram, sending those cold yeah. DMs and just trying to push it, push it, push it. But there are obviously a lot of other methods that you can do, even like right now, you said, you're giving away your, you know, your advice and information completely for free um, in a, essentially a sales and marketing tactic. Um, but what would you recommend then to beginner freelancers in the space that don't have 
you know any clients or many clients at the moment um mm. or even you know maybe they're not even confident enough to go on a podcast or do the content side of things yeah yeah you, how can they get going to be honest uh, podcasts and blogs and and stuff like that have only got limited use these days um it, because of just the sheer amount of noise that is out there at the moment um this is the point where I should massively sell you my, my Udemy course on finding clients, but l let's skip all of that and instead actually talk about it. Um, so effectively, the, the approach that I use is go, okay, let's pick a sector. Let's pick a group of people um, that work in a particular area that is of interest to me. Um, and I'm going to become a part of that community and just join in, right? As simple as that. So I could give you a real example of it. We, we won um, our first ever university website, University of Portsmouth it was, uh, and I really enjoyed working on it. It was good knotty problems. I like complicated kind of content problems and all of that kind of stuff. I'm a bit weird. Um, and, and I wanted to do more in the sector. And so I said to um, the guy that was our client, you know, where do you, go, where do you hang out? You know, where do you learn your stuff? Where do you, you know, get your knowledge from? He was going, oh, well, it's not really very much. Um, he said, oh, I am on this mailing list called IWMW mailing list. Institutional Web Managers Workshop mailing list. Really, wow, that sounds <laughs> sexy. So, um, so I, I tried to join it and I couldn't because I, I wasn't a university employee. Um, and so I wrote to the guy that ran the list and I said, you know, I'm an evil corporate um, person that's trying to sell services. No, I didn't. I wrote to him and said, you know, look, I work for an agency. We've just done our first um, university website. I want to learn more about the sector. Can I be on the mailing list? And he said, no. Um, and I said, well, what if I promise not to post on the mailing list and just learn? And he said, all right, then. So I went on the mailing list and I just learn. I listened. I listened to what they would do, the challenges they were facing, what was going on. And then, you know, sooner or later, a question came up that I felt I could answer. So I wrote out my answer and sent it to the guy that ran the mailing list, a guy called Brian, and said, can I send this? And he said, yeah, that's fine. So I sent it. And then it happened again. And I did it again. And he said, yeah, it's fine. And again, and again, helping, helping, helping. And it to the point where Brian got fed up with me and said, well, look, just post, but don't sell. And that's all I ever did. And I ended up just contributing to that community and being a part of the community. Um, and over time, yeah, sure, I ended up speaking at their, their conference that they ran and all of the rest of it. But it really all started by just being a part of that community and being helpful. And I had no experience in higher education at all. But I learned, you know, I got involved. Yeah. And that's what it often comes down to. But the trouble is we spend so much of our time, to be frank, <laughs> this, this is going to be a really bad thing to say, but I'll say anyway, listening to podcasts about freelancing or reading articles about CSS techniques or, you know, or you know, spending all of our time with our peers when we should be spending time with our clients or a sector that we want to be involved in. You know, that's where we need to be putting our time and energy. Yeah, that is that is very true. I mean, even from my beginner days of freelancing, back in the day it was Google Plus. And then for yeah. us, what we would do is we'd go into these Google Plus communities where it was 
like you know e-commerce communities and it was just a load of e-commerce owners speaking about how to get more sales and we would just not sell at all and just recommend oh you should yeah. do this by the way this is wrong on your website you need to change that and a few times they would get back in contact with us and be like oh that's a great spot can you just do that for me and i'm like yeah, yeah sure and then that's how you kind of you kind of get the ball rolling um, yeah. But do you, do you kind of recommend, because I feel like there's more of a benefit of doing it in person, but obviously the expense is so much higher and the effort level is so much higher. Nowadays, yeah. like post-COVID, how do you recommend people find and get into these groups? Because there is places like meetup.com and you can go to like, if you live in a big city, it's quite easy. If you don't, then yeah. it's very difficult. But like you, if you live in like London, for example, there's all these meetups for all these specific niches that you can go to and get in contact with these people and talk to. There's also loads of forums online and reddits and subreddits that you can join. Like in all of the maze and jungles of possibilities, how and where do you recommend people start? It depends, uh, it depends very much on the sector that you're, you're targeting. Um, uh, and targeting. Don't use the word targeting, that sounds salesy. That you're thinking of joining or getting involved <laughs> in. Um, you know, some, some, you also need to pick carefully the sector as well. Some sectors are highly competitive with one another, right? Um, and so they're never going to share stuff. They're never going to, um, you know, talk to one another, that kind of thing. You, that's no good. You need sectors where People move from company to company. They're all chatty with one another. They all kind of get along. So, uh, um, and then it really does come just like I did with that um, higher education uh, person. Start with your existing client base, you know, um, and you know, even if you've just got one or two clients, ask those one or two clients, where do they hang out? Well, you know, what do they look online? Do they, are there any industry conferences, etc.? You are right, in-person events are much better. They're, things really took off with, with um, higher education when I, I paid out of my own pocket to go to their conference for the first time and I spent a fortune buying everybody drinks. Um, and that was it, you know, we were away. Um, so it's a very much, it's a long, it's a long haul sales technique. It's not gonna turn into work overnight. Um, what it ultimately comes down to is getting people to remember you when they've mm. got a project, um, which is why increasingly these days um, I'm trying to, when I make contacts and I, I reach out to people, I'm trying to get them onto my mailing list uh, where I continue just giving advice away for free all the time and not really selling. But that is a better way of getting people to remember you when, when it comes yeah. to the moment of actually purchasing. So where to start depends on the sector. You've got to do a little bit of research. You know, are they hanging out on Reddit? Are they, have they got some dusty mailing list with a, some strange acronym? Are they, you know, are they meeting at a weekly meetup? You know, you've got to do your, your homework really and just search and look. Yeah. But besides networking, what would you say is like a, a must have soft skill that beginning freelancers should have? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it all comes down to a specific soft skill. I think understanding what motivates people it, mm -hmm. it is absolutely crucial and getting in that mindset. 
Um, and this where I think us as UX professionals have a big advantage because that's what we do as a job, you know, yeah. um, is understanding people. Marketers have the same. Um, but it's, the trouble is we are terrible at applying our own best practice to our own situation. So, for example, um, you know, we, we go to extraordinary lengths to understand users, understand what makes them tick, etc. But we don't with our clients, right? We don't yeah. with our prospects. And we just get frustrated because, you know, the client doesn't do what we want them to do. <laughs> but we haven't taken the time to understand them. What's their pain points? What's their goals? What concerns have they got? What objections are they struggling with? You need to understand that. And only once you understand that can you start framing everything you're doing in a way that resonates with them. You know, I can mm. show them a lovely design and I can talk about what a great user experience is, you know, and how it's going to create this amazing user experience. But they're not going to give an arse about that. They just want to meet their quarterly revenue figures or they just want to get that promotion or they're, you know, queuing up for retirement or whatever it is that they care about. Uh, there's a great post by um. Jared Spool, I don't know whether you know Jared Spool, but uh, he's a um, very um, experienced UX professional. And he wrote this wonderful article called Why I Can't Convince an Executive of Anything and Neither Can You. Right. Catchy title. I love it. And he basically says you could talk about design, user experience, accessibility, code to your heart's content. They're not going to care. What you've got to do is find out what they already care about and show how your thing helps them achieve that, right? So yeah. in terms of soft skills, that, <laughs> that ability <laughs> to know what it is that people want and frame what you're providing in terms that they can associate with. Yeah, that's a good advice. Yeah, yeah that's of course, a great that applies, answer. That applies to sales, it applies to... Um, dealing with users, it applies to your clients, it applies to the person holding the, the finance strings. When you're blocked by the IT director that's got some crappy legacy system, it applies there, it applies with procurement, yeah. it applies with, you know, compliance, whatever. Get yeah. to know them. But I think specifically you should find the pain points of the person you're talking to, right? It's mm. not just the business. I mean, the business is when, once you've landed the deal. Yes. Yes. But like really understanding the pain points of the person you're talking to right now. I think that's that's the thing, no? It's, it's, yeah. We're all in. I mean, this is I'm old and old and cynical, but we're <laughs> all inherently selfish. Right. Yeah. So if you talk about the user's needs or even the business needs, nobody cares. They just care about having an easy life. They just care about meeting their targets. They care about, you know, dealing with Sandra, who's a pain in the ass, who's in account accounting, right? Yeah. You know, it's, you're right. It's got to be about the person. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's so true. And that's, the, that's leading me on to this question that you've kind of half answered already, um, but that we wrote down before. And that is that, how can freelancers create a great customer experience for clients? Yeah, uh, yeah. It, and it is very much that. It, it's about understanding their needs and their pain points um, and, and working with those. 
Um, but I, I mean, there are a lot of other aspects to it as well. Um, I think, do you know what I think the biggest one is? It's recognizing that we are in the service industry, right? We all think our job is to deliver websites, right? Or marketing campaigns or whatever else. Um, and sure, that's a part of it. But that's a bit like saying a restaurant is just about the food, right? It's not. You know, the restaurant is about the whole experience, the ambiance, the waiter, the lighting, the music, the everything. It's all a part of it. I saw a, a great tweet years back from a very well-known web designer who said, what, do, what does my client want? I could either get on and do the project or tell them about what I'm doing, right? And I was going, no, they want both. Both are equally important. Mm. Um, so regular communication, nurturing the relationship, paying attention to the details of how you introduce people, even down to, we mentioned Calendly earlier, the number of compliments I get about just how easy it is to book a meeting with me, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, that was a simple little thing, but people love it. They love, and of course, especially for me, as someone working in UX, it's even more important that everything is, you know, beautifully crafted. If you're a graphic designer, everything from your proposals to, to well, everything you produce has got to look stunning. It's got to look gorgeous. But it's also about being transparent. It's about being open. It's about regular communication, managing expectations, all of those kinds of things. That's just as important in our job. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. And it goes like, especially on the thing you're saying there about graphic designers, it is so important because I speak to a lot of web designers and their own website is trash. And I'm like, the first thing, you demonstrate your skill level by the website that you have yourself. Just go away, fix that, make it perfect, and then you can start going to people because it is such a turnoff for clients when they go to a web designer's website and the web design sucks because they think that they're going to get that level of service. And I know it's so much harder to work on your own stuff than it is for other people, but it's something that freelancers just have to do. It's like you're saying there with the graphic design, make sure like, you know, even the proposal that you send, don't just send a blank text document, make it beautiful, show Ooh. off your skill case in every single opportunity that you get. So yeah, I love that. And uh, another question just leading on to that. I'll ask you this one last question because uh, we're kind of, we're, this, this has gone so fast. I've been learning so much from you today. So <laughs> thanks for that, Paul. But, um, um, but basically, is everything that you've just said there, it sounds like it's very difficult and each, well, not difficult, but each client is unique. So mm. therefore, is it possible to create a templated or automized system for creating a good client experience, uh, a good like customer experience for your client, um, for each client, making that that little bit easier for you each time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, I think what well, there's there's different aspects to it, isn't there? There's the there's the assets that we deliver to a client, and I don't just mean the the final deliverable, but I'm also talking about you know, proposals and all and presentations and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, those, of course, those can be standardized. Um, I, I tend to um, favor um, 
a kind of modular approach. So I've got like, instead of having a, a single slide deck that's my default slide deck for doing pitches, for example, um, not that I do many of those anymore, but I, I tend to have just a collection of slides and I can pick and choose different slides for different clients. And you could do that with proposals, you could do that with all kinds of stuff. Um, uh, in terms of communication, in, in things like emails, yeah, I would, I tend to be a little bit more customized there. I tend to respond to a client as they have responded to me, right? So some clients are very details orientated um, uh, and very formal, and I will respond in a lot of detail and very formal. Others are big picture, just give me a couple of lines and very casual, and so I respond to that. So yes and no is the answer to that, which is a really rubbish answer for the last question. You know, um, there are definitely elements that you can standardize, but you need to be willing to question what you're sending before you send it and go, okay, is this right for this particular client? Yeah, I guess it would be more of a checklist then than a template, just making okay. sure that um, so but what well, I'm just going off of what you described there is that you can't really template um, the perfect customer experience because each no. experience is going to be different like because of the nature of the work but there should be you know everything that we've discussed in this podcast you can note down and listen uh, and basically have in front of you when you're you know working with a client okay have I made sure that they're up to date on you know the latest progress have i made sure that this am i replying gotcha. to their emails in this thing so it does yeah. sound like that's that's quite a good thing for a freelancer to do is just have that checklist and be aware of the customer experience of a client because oh yeah you know as as they say even in retail like the, the customer is key right so treating that customer like you know with respect and you know, keeping them up to date on the communication front is yeah is is, is essential. Um, but yeah, enough of me rambling on on that part uh, <laughs> just a bit there. But I want to say you know a massive thank you for coming on the the podcast today. It's been um, it's been a hugely beneficial experience for me. So I hope it has been for um, the listeners as well as I'm sure it will be. Um, and yeah, I think you know Chris has probably you yeah. know learnt a ton from you too. Exactly, oh, thank you guys. And uh, definitely. Um, Get, get to, to read your newsletter, like definitely. <laughs> yes, subscribe to my newsletter. That's the word I was looking for. Where can people go to find you if they want more from you? I know you've got an absolute mountain of content. Um, yeah. So where should they go um, yeah. if they want more of Paul? Oof. Best to start with the website, boagworld, B-O-A-G, world.com. Um, one thing that might be of interest, bearing in mind we talked about soft skills and, and that quite a lot today. If you go to, this is a slightly different URL and confusing, boag.world forward slash skills. Um, you can sign up for um, my newsletter, but it takes you through an onboarding course that is focused just on soft skills. Um, and little tips and tricks about how to work with stakeholders and get design sign off and you know all the pain points that we struggle with um so that might be of interest to people but otherwise boagworld.com 
Yeah, that sounds awesome. Cool. I'll, I'll put the all of the links in the show notes uh, on this podcast as well. So wherever you're listening to this, um, just click in the notes and you'll have the uh, all the links um, there as well. And yeah, make sure to subscribe too. That is awesome. That really helps us out. And yeah, thanks for listening. And again, thank you, Paul, for coming on. Thank you, Chris, uh, for being here with us as well. And we'll catch uh, everybody in the next episode of the podcast. Thank you.